Welcome back, listeners, to the What Went Wrong podcast, where we tell the untold stories of failure, of bouncing back. And I have my really good friend, Andrea Owen, with me today, and I'm so excited we finally got the interview (laughs) nailed down because this lady... Guys, she's wanted, and so she is like high high priority here. So I'm so glad that we finally carved out this time to connect with her and I to hear her stories. But before we go into the what went wrong, which I know you're all at the edge of your seats to find out, I just want to share with you, if you don't know who this fabulous lady is, I'm just going to give you a little interlude and then I'm going to let her kind of share where she is with her successes. But Andrea is a three times bestselling author global keynote speaker, certified life coach, host of the popular podcast, Make Some Noise, which currently has over 4 million downloads. That is so awesome. (laughs) Something to aspire to. And not only that, but I think this is so cool. You are a retired roller derby player, (laughs) Veronica Vaines. Welcome to What Went Wrong, the podcast where we share the untold stories of bouncing back from failure. I'm your host, Tabitha Thorell, and in each episode, we will unravel the stories of triumph, perseverance, and resilience. So join us every week as we sit down with remarkable individuals who will share how their setbacks became setups for success. Get ready for insights, inspiration, and a healthy dose of real talk. This is What Went Wrong, where we redefine success one failure at a time. Subscribe now and let the journey begin. So I love that, but share with us a little bit more, Andrea, about who you are and where you are today. Yeah. So I'm an author, like you mentioned, and I've been doing that for, I think it's been 11 or 12 years now and had success beyond my wildest dreams. People ask me like, what's next for you? And I'm like, honestly, I've done everything. So I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) If that's, if that's the top, I'm, I'm fantastic. But I also coach women in leadership, um, and also do some keynote speaking and, I'm a single mom of two teenagers. So yeah, it's a great that, life, I have to say. That is so, I mean, that is like what we all aspire to, right? At some point to be like, is there more? Yes, there is. There's yeah. another ceiling, right? You got to break through that. There so is. we all know where we, you are today, but we all want to know before all of the success, there was trials, there was turmoil. I know I've read your story and you're very mm-hmm. open about it, which I thank you for. But our listeners want to know, what went wrong? Yeah. Well, it's sort of funny in how it directly correlates to coaching and how I how I got in this career. So I had actually heard about life coaching in the early 2000s. This is about 20 okay. years ago when no one even really knew what it was. It was very yeah. new. And if it was known about, it was usually only used in uh, like C-level, you know, executive mm-hmm. coaching, that type of thing, or obviously sports coaching. And I had heard about life coaching and thought it was a really neat career and thought, uh, you know, at the time I was, I was a lot younger. I was in my early, early or mid twenties and, Mm -hmm. and said to my then husband, I think this would be such a perfect career for me because I've always been the consummate cheerleader. I'm a natural extrovert and didn't really want to get into sales, which seemed like a natural career to me. Right. (laughs) Uh, And with my personality and, and also had looked into being a therapist, but didn't, I didn't, I didn't feel like it would be appropriate for me to be, you know, jumping on the couch, excited for my clients, like saying like, let's get you out of this trauma. Let's do it. Let's kick some ass. So I, I, I told him at the, in that moment and I said, I think that 
to be a really great life coach, you would need to have some more life experience, which I didn't have a whole lot of at that at that time. So two years, fast forward, my husband and I were talking about conceiving our first child and he had an affair with our neighbor who lived across the street. And that went on for seven months without me knowing, without her knowing either. She thought we were in the middle of a divorce. And then at the end of that seven months, he got her pregnant and that's what ended everything for us. And I was devastated. We were, you know, we were about to start a family. We had been together for 13 years since I was a teenager wow. at that point. And so I was utterly devastated. And I did what I probably should not have done. I started dating right away. And I met someone that I fell in love with. And I thought, oh, this is great. He's so charming and funny and all of these things. And something wasn't really right, but I was ignoring my intuition because I was in such a traumatized and vulnerable state. And wow. About nine months into that relationship, I I found out that he had a um, pretty severe mental illness and was also an addict and had lied about having a terminal illness the whole time we were together to cover up his drug problem that wow. I was funding because I thought I was taking care of his his terminal illness. And, and I also, at the end of that, found out that I was pregnant. And so he and I had a decision to make. Um, I was still legally divorced or legally married to my first husband. Like I still had all that drama going on in the background and my life was just a mess, Tabitha. Like it was, it was, I was just a wreck emotionally, mentally. I was physically, I was over-exercising, just, you know, just like not really taking care of myself in Mm -hmm. any regard. And when I found out I was pregnant and decided to keep the baby and then me and the boyfriend ended up splitting up, uh, and I knew I needed to take complete and utter radical responsibility for my life. And right. and that's not to say that I took all the responsibility and blame for what had happened. Like, of course, right. these men that I'd been with had made some poor choices. and and But it was really about looking at where I had not trusted myself and my intuition, where yeah. I had stayed in relationships for much longer than – was good for me, where I had put all of my happiness, my self-worth and my self-esteem into someone else's hands. And it was like, that's just, you know, like a handful of things that I had to take a really good look at and dove into therapy, like dove into doing some of the deeper work, which took years. I mean, it didn't happen, you know, it's still, still going on now that it's been, you know, my son just turned 16. And so, and then it was, it was then really that I signed up for my life coaching certification and, and really started to change my life both personally and professionally. And it hasn't been all perfectly smooth sailing, but that was truly the catalyst that, that changed me. And and I also just want to kind of wrap this up with a bow and say, for the people listening, like you don't have to wait until you have like a lifetime movie script handed to you <laughs> to live out your life. Like you can change your life when it's like pretty, pretty, uh, you know, like non-eventful. So yeah, yeah, that's kind of how I got here. So the moment that you found out that you were pregnant mm-hmm. and you were still married to your first husband and here you have yes. this guy in your life who you obviously loved in some capacity because like you said, mm-hmm. you fell in love with them. And I mean, whether he's an addict or not, that has no bearing. When you fall in love with someone, you fall in love with them. Right. And here you have, you're pregnant and mm-hmm. you wanted to conceive with your first husband. So clearly you wanted to be a mom. And so you mm-hmm. you have this point of, you said you made the decision to go into life coaching. 
Mm-hmm. Is there a gap in time there or was it like instant, like kind of close the gap there for people because they might be going through some stuff and think, yeah. I can't go ahead with this until I have everything together. That's a right. lot of an excuse for a woman is like when everything is perfect, when the kids go to school or when they go to mm-hmm. college, then I get to be me. Yeah. And it sounds like for you, you were like, no, like now is the time. Just balls to the wall. And and a, a couple of things like please trust me when I tell you that when I told my family and friends that I was signing up for life coaching school at that moment, they were like, you're going to what? Like they were (laughs) like, nobody was like, I definitely think that's a great idea. But also it wasn't really unlike me. I have, um, I have like zero impulse control and I'm not saying this to like, yay, put this in my bio. Like (laughs) I, I, you know, I'm, I am diagnosed with anxiety and ADHD. I don't have a, a lot of impulse control. I tend to, which is great for entrepreneurship. I always say this, like my propensity for risk is great for entrepreneurship. It is terrible for drugs, men, and alcohol. Like that's where I get myself in trouble. This is why I don't drink or do drugs anymore. Um, Men are still, it's a whole nother story for another time. But I, there was no gap. I went right in when I was pregnant with my son. And it was both a really great idea and a bad idea. It It was a great idea because I didn't know this at the time, but it forced me to do my own work. I thought I was just going to learn how to be a life coach. I didn't know the amount of coaching I was also going to get and how it would really force me to be vulnerable and look at some difficult things that I needed to work on. And so it was a a bad idea because I also – I made a lot of big changes in my life at the same time, which I don't recommend, uh, you know, when you're going through a really bad breakup or a divorce. Like they don't recommend, you know – moving out of state or changing your career. And right. and I, you know, I changed my career, but it ended up working out. So I got lucky. Right. Well, I think you said something so important. You went into it thinking, oh, I'm going to be a life coach. I have mm-hmm. to get my stuff together for other people in order, you know, like my profession. And in the midst of it, you had so much growing, like you grew yeah. so much. And I think for entrepreneurs, especially women, that is the secret sauce. Like we always are striving for something or going for something, but in it is the present. It, it It's yeah. the, like they said, it's very corny, but you know, it's not about the destination. It's the journey. You know, it's yeah. like, it's corny, but it's so true because whether you're, I mean, and I can imagine with the life coach training <laughs> that you mm-hmm. were like, it's kind of like when people go to med school and they diagnose themselves with like every disorder exactly. that <laughs> yeah. you're like, Oh wait, that's me. I need to practice this. I need to do this. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so you're, you're growing and you're learning and you're doing this. So you become a life coach, you have this baby. Tell us just a little bit, because there is a little gap. Cause like you said, you're son- 16, right? 16 right yeah. now. Uh-huh. And so in that 16 years, what happened? Because obviously that's the, what went wrong. Like that's the pivotal moment that really changed your trajectory, which a lot of the stories of the entrepreneurs that I, that listen or that I interview, they have that, but then tell us a little bit about from then to now, like how mm-hmm. you got where you are, because there's a big gap there and a lot mm-hmm. of other things could go wrong, but how did you stay the course? How did you pull through? You said you have that impulse, but like, were there other outsourced things that helped you get the success that where you're at today? Yeah. Well, I mean, in terms of uh, career success, I think 
part of it is, and I, and I don't, I don't love to say this because I, I know that as women, we can undermine our talent. Um, but I do think it's worth mentioning and it's, it's valid that I also got into the industry at a really great time. I was an early adopter and I also was, uh, you know, if there's any other life coaches out there listening or in anyone who was, you know, kind of following other life coaches, I Mm -hmm. was one of, I was in the kind of first within the first handful or at least, you know, five years of uh, creating like a, a personality brand, which was sort of new at the time. And, okay. you know, I, I launched a business called Your Kick-Ass Life. It was sort of the, one of the first very few that even had like a curse word, if you want to call it a curse word in the, the name, right. which people were like, oh my God, don't do that. You're, you know, that's absolute business suicide. And I'm like, actually it's not. It ended up working out really well. And right. uh, so I think that was super helpful in that the the market and the industry wasn't saturated quite yet. That happened like years later. So t- my timing was perfect. And also I am, I was also in a place where I was sort of dying to tell my story and these were the early years of blogging. And so I was just kind of putting it all out there and was vulnerable before vulnerability was kind of like a marketing thing. Like I did it just from a place of genuine I wanted to tell my story and I wanted to make sure I wasn't the only one out there. And so other people were, I, I mean, I used to get just emails and emails of people telling me their story because it was fairly new to do that on the internet and, and, and not anonymously, you know, for years right. we had had, you know, Tumblr and like Yahoo groups and these like very anonymous places to, to do that. And I was kind uh-huh. of like, hi, here's like my name and who I am and what I do. And here's like my, my sad story. So I think, you know, that was part of it. And then on a more personal level that that also bled into professional, I got sober in 2011. So when I got pregnant with my son and really dove into my own work, I really listened to my therapist and and this other kind of like therapy group that I was in around codependency and love addiction. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, like maybe, you know, maybe I shouldn't just like write the names of my friends in the margins of my self-help books. (laughs) You know, it's like (laughs) Tabitha does this and Shelby does this and, you know, maybe it's me. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it's me. So I started to dive into my own work in that and then realized uh, around 2000, I had another baby. I, I got married again. Um, I, I met someone amazing and we had a long 15 year marriage, which sadly ended, but um, we had a baby together. And so, you know, we have two children. Um, in 2010 ish, when my babies were really, really young, I realized like, I think I have a drinking problem. And I wasn't going out, getting drunk with my girlfriends. It was just at home on weeknights, like drinking a whole bottle of wine all by myself. And, you know, my husband at the time didn't drink. And so it was just me. And my dad got sober when I was 18. So I knew very much what a high functioning alcoholic looked like. And I was one. And I know now the alcohol-free movement, as we're having this conversation in 2024, it's, it's a different conversation than people were having in 2011 when I got sober and came out with my story. And so I do actually identify as an addict and alcoholic. I know a lot of people don't who are sober. But but honestly, that was the thing that catapulted my growth. Uh, and, and once I wasn't drinking anymore, I really didn't have anything to numb myself out. Like work, yeah, did it a little bit. And so like sometimes the internet, but in, in terms of like a substance – yeah. to truly help me run away from the feelings that I was avoiding, all the trauma, all the grief, all of that, yeah. I didn't booze wasn't around anymore. And so 
that was truly when I had to be quiet and still with my feelings, which was one of the most wretchedly painful, terrifying experiences of my life. Um, I was convinced that my feelings were going to kill me. And I think many of us have that fear. Like if I opened up Pandora's box, I'm never going to stop crying. So that was really the thing I think that, and continues to this day, and I have 12 plus years of sobriety, still continues to be such a source of healing for me in a very, you know, long and painful way, but it's something I'm incredibly grateful for is my sobriety and recovery. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we heard all your, your accolades at the beginning, but when I read your story, that to me was like the number one. And I almost led with that, but then I feel like sometimes it takes then that's the only identity that people see. And you're so mm-hmm. many layers of who you are. And that's All how of us you, are. Yeah. You know, and so it's like, but, we, you know, let's just be honest. Like people make judgments and they see it and they think that, oh, yes, yeah. my sister was an addict and we lost her in 2018. So mm. I so wholeheartedly commend you that you got your shit together and said, mm-hmm. like, my kids are enough because my sister had kids. And she had nieces and nephews who loved her and she couldn't. And her thing, like you said, I feel like she thought her emotions were going to kill her. She did not like to cry. She didn't like to feel. She numbed it. She never felt good enough, you know? So all of those attributes. And again, we could be here just an hour long podcast on just that, you know, diving deep into that. Because like you said, the what went wrong before was bad. I mean, you know, it was, we all go through that. But then when you came to the terms of, was there a moment like when you just said, no, I'm not drinking anymore? Or was it kind of like a little bit over time? Yeah, that's such a great question. I want to touch on something that you just said, though, because I think it's so powerful. And I'm just, I'm sorry to hear that you lost your sister. That's just excruciating. Yeah. Um, and as, as a mom, I remember there was a moment when my I was newly sober and Alcoholics Anonymous was incredibly helpful for me at the time. And there was a moment where I was really struggling and I wanted to drink and I was on the phone with somebody from AA. And then I had one hand on the, my phone and one hand on a bottle of wine. And I was, I don't remember if I was crying or if I was about to cry, but I was upset. And my yeah. kids were in the bathtub, like just maybe 15 feet away from me. The, the door was open and I could hear them um, you know, splashing in the bathtub. They were almost two and four at the time. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking and hearing people talk at meetings about, you know, like I couldn't do it for me, but I did it for my kids and I couldn't do it for me and I did it for my kids. And I remember thinking like, I feel like that's an unfair story to attach to because they tell us in in, in recovery, they tell us do not listen for the differences of how you feel because then you will make yourself wrong and you are headed for relapse. Only listen for the similarities. So like where you feel similarly to someone's story and their experience, that's what you need to latch on to. And I remember hearing, you know, like, oh, I did it for my kids and thinking like, is there something wrong with me? Because I love my kids more than anything in this world, but yet still I want to drink. And I know that so many people have either lost their life or just stayed in the depths of their addiction and they love their children more than anything. Yes. So like, what, what, what is that? I wanted to understand that very much. And here's, here's my conclusion about it is that, uh, addiction is so rooted in shame, which yeah. I can, you know, talk about for an 
hours because I, I work in shame resilience and I completely understand and can relate to the fact that shame is such a full contact experience and emotion. And what I mean by that, it can like completely take over both your body, your mind, like your spirit, your soul, like everything that it becomes, you know, when you hear people say it was bigger than me. Yeah. That's what I believe that they're talking about. It's the shame that is, and shame unfortunately can trump love Yep. It can trump like the, the devotion and the commitment that we have for our relationships that we have for our children. And so I, um, it breaks my heart when people lose someone in their life. And I've heard it so many times, like, you know, and they say like, I wish that they would have been able to choose me over the drugs. And it's, it's right. not that simple. It gets so nuanced and it's just, and I know it's such a hard conversation to have. And I don't mean to like derail like what we were talking about. I just, no, 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 I think no. it's this important. Yeah. Yeah, well, I and think, it's just yeah. heartbreaking. When you say that, you know, so many things, even when I'm thinking like of my sister, and, and I share this in some other podcasts that I've done, is um, I actually just did a podcast where I share my side of, you know, her story of how it affected me. And I said the one thing I always knew later on, I shouldn't say always, as an adult, was her, she just felt so much shame and it was yeah. so powerful. And she actually thought, in her mind, if I wasn't here, they would be better off because she did not have that self-love. So it wasn't like she ever, you know, didn't love her kids. We say that in like the anger moments of like wanting to shake Mm -hmm. them, like, don't you love your kid? You know, how great are they? But like you said, it's so much deeper because they actually think in their head, like they would be better off without me. I'm such a mess. Nobody can fix me. I'm so broken. I, you know, like all like the limiting beliefs and, and, they can numb it. And that's what they've chosen. And she chose that for a long time. Mm -hmm. And so for me, through the process of forgiving her, but also forgiving myself, you know, because I was so angry and like, why can't, you know, we we had this great relationship and all of this stuff and making it about me, you know, yeah. like, why am I not enough for you to stick around? Right. And, but Mm -hmm. sitting back and saying, you know, because that was five years ago, she was my age that I am now when she died. And when I think about that and I'm just like, oh my gosh, she had so much life. And, you know, you go into that rabbit trail, but she also had moments where she forgave herself. And, you know, there's a lot, you know, to unpackage there, but I think what you said is so true. It's so much bigger than the person. Yeah. And, you know, what I say is like, you know, hate the sin, love the sinner type of thing. Mm -hmm. It's like, hate the addiction love the person. Like, that's just what it is. And you're not going to always, it's not about you and you can't do it for somebody else. Anything you You can't chase, even being an entrepreneur, like, or, you know, you know, people say like, I have a family and I'm like, I do it for my kids and I do, but it's for me too. Like you can't just always have it be for someone else. Like you said, the codependency in that. So I love that you shared that. Yeah. Um, that, it's just, it's, it's when it's that powerlessness that they talk about in the rooms of recovery that is so, uh, all consuming and that ends up, you know, keeping people in the dark and in, in their active, uh, addiction. But to answer your question, did, did I have like a moment? Um, I had several of them and they were these whispers, which is, was my intuition saying things like, I don't think a normal drinker drinks like this. I don't think that a healthy person has these kinds of thoughts about alcohol because one of the telltale signs of addiction is our obsession around whatever 
process or substance you know, is our poison of choice at the moment. And yeah. it, it's not even really about the quantity that we're drinking or, or using. It's the obsession around it, which is a real hell. It's a real mental and emotional hell to be in. And so I found myself getting deeper and deeper into that. And, you know, like maybe a year went by and I just, it just wasn't fun anymore. And I kept trying to get back to it being fun and just kept failing over and over again. And it just becomes exhausting. And I, you know, I did some research and it was like, those were the moments where I was like, okay, I think, I think I have a, I think I have a problem. And so I called a friend who had been in recoveries for several years and she was incredibly helpful and compassionate and, um, and supportive. And then, um, yeah. And that was in 2011. Well, that is awesome. I mean, like I said, that in of itself is like the top accolade for sure. Where you are now, you like I said, you have three best-selling books. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit of where you are now and then how can people find you and what is there something you're working on now that you know you're passionate about? Yeah. I mean, I, I could probably come back on your podcast in, in maybe six or 12 months from now because I am, you know, wow. I had a dark night of the soul 2023. Well, the last couple of years have been really rough. I just an autoimmune disease, the pandemic, you know, I went through, oh, yeah. I'm still like in the middle of my, my second divorce now and, um, you know, with two kids and, and it's, and it's been hard personally and professionally, but I do feel like I'm kind of, you know, I'm coming up for air and coming out on the other side yes, and I'm writing yes. my fourth book actually and revising my very first book, 52 Ways to Live a Kick-Ass Life. So that's exciting that I have the, that kind of in the pipeline and yeah. Um, yeah, just kind of like getting my bearings back as I, yeah. as I face a brand new life as a single mom of two teenagers now, my babies are teenagers, which is so yes. wild to me that, you know, they grew up. Um, yes. I'm happy to be sober and happy to be in an industry that sort of forces me to walk my talk and yes. stay tuned. Yeah. Oh, AndreaOwen.com. And I'm on all the socials at Hey Andrea Owen. And like you mentioned, my podcast is called Make Some Noise. And we will have all those links for you guys in the show notes and we'll make sure you get, you know, all that. And my, my oldest is a teenager. My second oldest is soon to be a teenager and I have a preteen uh -huh. and two toddlers. So, oh, wow. Life, yes. You're in it's, it. Yeah. So I hear you on the like, yeah teenage train for, for that, but no, I'm excited. Yeah, yes. And come back in a year, let us know. And here's the thing we all know, like entrepreneurship in life, there's never like, I'm up at the top forever. Mm -hmm. Like there's always another level. There's always the other, what went wrong. It's about learning and growing from them. And so I just want to thank you so much for your time, Andrea, and your honesty and openness. And guys, if you want to know more about her story, like pick up her books because she is an open book in her books <laughs> and her, you know, her Instagrams. I love what you said about like your gray hair. I think that was like in December. It, that was awesome. Yeah. But <laughs> you know, I just love your, cause you give people hope and permission to be themselves. Whether, mm -hmm. you know, you're their cup of tea or not, it's like you give them permission. And as women, I just feel like we need that. I don't know why society yeah. or whatever. It's like, we need that permission to be ourselves. So I love that you guys have to go check her out. And remember guys, wherever you're at in your life or your business, just ask yourself to get to what went right. You have to go through what went wrong. So until next time, thanks for joining me. Bye guys. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of what went wrong. We hope you found hope and inspiration in this story. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to subscribe, download, and rate us on your favorite podcast platform. Your support means the world to us and helps us share these valuable stories with others. Until next time, remember, what went wrong can lead to what went right. Keep pushing forward and we'll catch you in the next episode.